Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. The listeners of the RiderFlex podcast, you know, a lot of them are, are entrepreneurs, executives, business owners. So lots of things in common for what you do uh, on a daily basis. So I know they'll be interested to hear all about your company. And I want to get into active shooter training. And I have lots of questions around that. But before that, tell me about Michael, the kid, uh, where, he, where he grew up, a little bit about your parents, siblings. Give us some, some early childhood stuff. Uh, Michael, the kid born in Anaheim, California, um, lived there with my family, my dad, mom, and sister, who's five years older than me until we were, until I was seven. My mom, my mom took us out to where she grew up in Colorado. My dad fell in love with it because it was a completely different world out there, which it's pretty appealing these days living in Southern California. Yeah. Um, we, my dad sold all his property the, the year before every, all property values tripled in price. So he was a little sore about that. Ooh. Uh, and then I'd lived out there. He, they divorced when I was 15. He moved back to Southern California. I stayed there and went, finished high school. Uh, cause I had a, I had a sweet, you know, high school sweetheart there that I didn't want to leave. What, was, uh, what, what high school, if you don't mind me asking Hooter high school, Hooter high school. All right. So you're up in the Northern, Northern Colorado, a little bit up by Fort Collins. Okay. Fort, very good. Fort Collins. And, uh -huh. um, and then when I turned 18, I moved back out, um, to California and started working with him. Let me ask you, uh, was that tough? Uh, I mean, I guess it always is right. But, uh, just going through that, your parents getting divorced at 15. Um, you know, were you, yeah. Were you shocked? Were you disappointed? Were you hurt? All of it? What do you remember? From All that? of it. Yeah. My dad was my hero. I was his mini me, just like my, my son is my mini me. And, um, that was devastating that, 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 that took a toll mm. that took a toll. Yeah. So, um, and my mom had some, some emotional stuff and honestly, she had some mental illness due to some real bad trauma she had when she was a, a girl. And I uh, see, I see. So I was kind of taking care of her, uh, at mm. the time. So yeah, it was not the, it wasn't the ideal, um, childhood, but it made me the man I am today. And so I'm not going to complain about it. So your sister was five years older, so she was probably already out of the house when I got divorced. And then it was just you and your mom as you went through high school then, huh? Me and my mom and my mom was in and out of the psych ward of the local hospital because she kept trying to kill herself. So I was living alone while I was in high school for the most part, which was fun. A lot of that, like you said, a lot of that probably shaped you. Were you flying back and forth to California to see your dad during those years, too, during on summer vacations, on breaks, yeah, uh, once or a couple times a year, yeah, he'd fly me out to spend time with him. Okay, so your dad, he was an entrepreneur, business owner early on. Tell us a little bit about that, his career. Went into the Navy after high school, um, went into law enforcement after the Navy, 
um, found out that he did not like being told what to do by people he didn't feel uh, uh, were smart enough to do that. So he left law enforcement and opened up his the private mm-hmm. investigation security company in 1967. And I was wow. born a year later. So I, I was born into a company of private investigations and security. And so that is essentially all I've done my whole life. So when you were, uh, so right after high school, so let's see, you graduated high school, what year? 1987. But I actually did, I, I did my junior year in um, California. I'd moved out to be with my dad and actually started doing surveillance when I was 16 years old. Oh, you knew where I was going with the question, right? I was wondering yeah. when you started working for him. So, so you started started working for your dad really when you were 16, probably. 16, 17 years old, yeah. Okay, very good. Did you know, I mean, when you went so you went back to graduate in Colorado, did you know, I mean, you were like, okay, I'm going to go to work for my dad. Like, that. that's what I'm going to do for a living. Were you convinced? Or did he have to say, was it a little bit like him saying, hey, come help me run this? No, I think it was just... <sighs> Well, I, I wanted to be a cop. You know, I didn't I didn't want to be, you know, live in my dad's shadow okay. um, or at least that's what my young ego was saying. Um, and I wanted to be a cop because he'd been a cop and I thought it'd be cool. Uh, and then I, you know, I worked for my dad and then I took a I took a little time when I thought, wait a minute, I want to be my own man. And so I went and, um, you know, I was a bouncer at a nightclub and, you know, I was doing security like that. And then I, I actually um, tried out for uh, a sheriff's department in Orange County, which was oh, really? the department he started at okay. and um, f- killed it. And, and then they got to the, <laughs> they got to the question about, did I ever do any drugs in high school? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, didn't we all? <laughs> and they said, oh yeah, that's, that's no good. You were, you're never going to work here. And I was devastated. Oh, devastated. Mm. And, um, I called, he had been bugging me. My dad had been bugging me to come back to work for him. And I called my dad after I got that news. And I said, I'm, I'm, you got me. I'm in. Uh, were you yeah. living like in a little apartment or something in, in Orange County or LA by yourself? Or where, where were you living? At so I moved out to Palm Springs. Um, oh. I got, I got an opportunity. My, my, my aunt, my mom's sister, uh, and her husband had a bunch of money and a bunch of properties in downtown Palm Springs. And she had a business. I'm 19 years old at this point. Yeah. And uh, she had a, a, a gourmet dessert cafe right on Palm Canyon in the heart of, uh, and she, she said, do you want to manage it? I said, sure. So I moved out there to manage it. And okay. I was not a gourmet dessert manager. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say bouncer, bouncer at yeah. the local club to gourmet. Well, that came, yeah. that came later, but, but oh. I did that. And I thought, well, this is not, this is not for me. So uh, then I, um, I did that. And then I'm like, this is not working for me. Yeah. And then I got, uh, then I started going to college out there okay. and then I got a job. What was I doing? Oh, I got a job at uh, Eisenhower Medical Center and okay. I was doing that. And then um, also I was doing construction uh, during the summer between college uh, okay. semesters. And then I turned 21 and I got a job. Um, I got a job as a bouncer at a very big time hot shot nightclub where all the movie stars went called Pompeii Nightclub. Oh, really? And I did cool. that, and then I switched over to the uh, Red Onion in Huntington Beach, living in a one-bedroom apartment with two other guys, and and, and that's when went, 
That's when I went and applied. Uh, I see. For oh, see, I see. Department. Yeah. Now, now, if you were a bouncer and stuff, so you're a big guy. I mean, you look like a big guy. What? How, what? I'm five nine and a half, and probably two ten. I mean, I'm not a little guy. I've got muscles, but I'm but I'm yeah. not tall or anything. And but you were a bouncer. Did you learn how to? Did you learn defense and everything from your dad? Like early on, like he taught you that. You know. I was, I was always the smallest bouncer everywhere I worked, but I had the biggest attitude. So guys feared me more than the big guys. Cause I, I acted, <laughs> I acted like I was really tough. Cause I had to, cause I wasn't a very big guy gotcha. um, okay. and I had all the big guys behind me. So it really didn't matter. <laughs> um, but I, I, I learned how to, I was always good at using my personality or using my attitude or whatever to influence or manipulate people to get them to do what I needed them to do. So if I needed to deescalate, I could, if I needed to escalate and go two notches more to met them back down, I normally could. Now I still got into several scraps and I do okay for myself, but I had been taught boxing and I was a wrestler all through school and everything like that. So when it came to the physical part, I could, I could handle myself, but that's never the goal. You always want to, diffuse things or end them without the physical interactions. You wrestled for Pooter High School? I wrestled for Cashel Pooter Junior High School and Pooter High School. How about that? That's pretty cool. Both of my sons were wrestlers for uh, Roosevelt and Johnstown in Colorado. So that's interesting. Yep. Uh, yep. I know I know it takes a special breed of young man to, to, to wrestle in high school. That is a special character. Um, okay, so let me ask you this. Were you wild in high school? Were you average? Did you get in trouble? Did you get arrested? Anything? Nope. Did you get any good stories in there? Oh, the only <laughs> the only arrest I ever got in high school was actually, I think, in either elementary or junior high when me and my best friend um, went next door from the, the uh, grocery store in Colorado, rural Colorado. There, you never know what you're going to find. There was this <laughs> old shed, and we kind of worked our way into this shed and found all this these old tools and all kinds of stuff. Oh. And... Um, and the guy get the live next door, called the cops and they came and grabbed us and we didn't steal anything or break anything. Yeah. We were just where oh, we okay. shouldn't have been. Okay. So I, yeah. I got in trouble there. Malicious mischief, I guess they called that. Okay. So in high um, school in the, in the late eighties, we had typical alcohol, a little cannabis, this and that, nothing major, nothing, no, nothing major. No, I, I was, uh, I, and, and, you know, I was always kind of the, if you wanted to know where the parties were in town, there was, we only had three high schools. You know, we had less than a hundred thousand people in the, in the, in this, in Fort Collins. If you want to know where the parties were, you came and talked to me because I knew where all the parties were <laughs> and I'd hit them all. You know, I was, I was kind of the, you know, I like to have fun, but you know, I was blowing off steam. I was acting out, you know, my dad had moved away. My mm-hmm. mom's in and out of the psych ward. My sister's yeah. living with her boyfriend. I've got all this freedom and I was not a happy, you know, I was emotionally a little bit screwed up. So I was, I was probably self-medicating by drinking beer and partying with my friends and stuff like that. Um, but that's what we did in high school. You know, there wasn't yeah. a whole lot to do. Wasn't it fun to be able to drive around and go to parties without a cell phone for your parents to call you or anybody to check out? It was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No GPS on the cell phone. So they knew exactly right. where and all that stuff. Totally. I feel so sorry for the teenagers these days. They have no idea, no idea what we used to get away with. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So you go to work for, so you call your dad and you're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm, I'm in. All right. Uh, talk to me about some of those early years with your dad. How was that? Was it, was there some, was it just all rosy? I'm sure it wasn't. Uh, talk to me a little bit about it. You know, uh, a lot of people tell me that I, I have a, a big personality and a command presence 
Yeah. I learned that from my father who had 10 times that. I mean, you either loved my father or hated him. And he was 6'2", 260. And he was a big boy. I got my mom's side of the family height, right? Okay. <laughs> um, but you either, because my dad was an honorable man. He, he had integrity. And people were either drawn to him because they admired him and they thought, wow, that's the kind of person I want in my life. Or they resented him and hated him because, you know, he was a Boy Scout and they didn't agree with the way he thought. Um, but we have very similar personalities and I was constantly trying to earn or, or feel like I had my own independence and prove myself. And he was, I mean, it was never good enough. My dad told me, I said, why don't you ever, you know, tell me good job. He goes, if I don't say anything, you're doing a good job. If I say something, you're in trouble. (laughs) And, you know, so it was really, it was, there was, it was, his idea was if he let up on me, I would stop trying to be a better man. And he believed, and he told me, it's my job to show you before you learn it in real life, that the world is a, is a, can be a shitty place. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you need to be able to, you know, own it or it'll own you. So he was always pretty hard on me to prepare me for life. And, um, and it did, but you know, it, it would have a pat on the back would have been nice once in a while. I have done the opposite. I'm still very, my kids, you know, I'm still a little bit like my dad. I told them, look, I need to, I need to prepare you for life. That's my job. And I would rather be hard on you now than the real world crush you later because you weren't prepared for it. But I tell them I love them every day. I tell them I'm proud of them every opportunity I get. I learned that from my dad by watching him not do that. It's interesting. I think a lot of people our age, because you're in your 50s like me, very similar stories. If they had parents that were born in the 30s or 40s, those parents were usually pretty rough, not a lot of hugs and kisses, not a lot of pats on the back. And then guys like us that grew up in the 80s and then we had children in the 90s, we just loved them to, to death because, yep. you know, I, I, th- I hear that a lot. I really hear that a lot. Same thing. Yeah, my dad, uh, not one single time did my dad ever call and say, great job. I'm proud of you. I mean, I... I remember the day I became a president and CEO of a $40 million company. And I called to tell him, I thought maybe that day he would say, good job. He still never said anything. (laughs) That sucks. I can relate. So I can relate. Um, All right. So, so when your dad had the business, was that um, MPS or was that MBI? Walk me through now the, the, what was the company called then? And then, a little sure. bit through the transitions. Yeah, go for it. The parent company is National Business Investigations. And the year okay. after he passed away, I incorporated it because I knew we'd, it would be a better tax situation and corporate you know, structure to, and, and protection to, to incorporate. So we were National Business Investigations or NBI. Okay. Um, but they, And they did a lot of different type of security. But in California, you have to have two different kinds of licenses, a private investigator's license or a security license. However, if you did an investigation and somehow security services were required in conjunction with that investigations, you with that investigation, you could do it as part of within or underneath your PI license. I wanted to expand it to do all things security because, frankly, I by the time my father passed away, I was burnt out on investigations. I mean, mm-hmm. I spent about eight years in a surveillance van doing nothing but surveillance, sometimes up to 100 hours in a week. And I, I didn't want to do it anymore. So when I took over the company, um, when he passed away very suddenly in 1997, um, mm. at the age of 57 years old, uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Tell me about it. I, I'm like, I'm only four years away from when my dad died. So it's yeah. heavy mm. on my mind. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I decided to go ahead and get that security license because I wanted to expand. And, and, uh, and, and that's frankly what I'm passionate about, what I think I'm better at. I was a pretty good investigator, but there was a lot of guys better than me. But I like security and I, I'm probably to the point of being hypervigilant sometimes, or I've relaxed actually. I'm not that way anymore, but I couldn't go to a bar uh, and enjoy myself because I'd be standing there looking around to see who's <laughs> drunk and stupid. You know, I can I can do it now. I've in my old age or my eight in as I get older, I'm starting to relax a little bit. But I separated those licenses to the point where um, I started and he had a uniform division way back. When he first started, you didn't have to have a security license. You could do uniform security in a, under a private investigator's license. I see. Okay. And he had a uniform division and canine. And I've got old pictures of him in uniform, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s. It's pretty cool. Black and white. Um, nice. But I wanted to do all those things and grow the company. And, and I did. And I think the biggest year my father ever had was $360,000 in a, in a year. And we did blown that out of the water. And so you start, so MBI was the original company, National Business Investigations. And by the way, for the listeners, investigations-mbi.com. Is that the Correct. best way to get? Okay. And the number yep. on that is, it, it, the phone number, just for the listeners, in case you're ever interested, is 866-624-8050. Now you started though, so you launched MPS, um, MPS Security. Is that? Accurate. Yeah. And MPS, actually, the first iteration was Minders Protective Services. Now, a minder is a is a European term for a bodyguard, a protector. Okay. And that term goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. Um, But people kept mispronouncing it and saying minders. And that drove me crazy. So I just shortened it to MPS Security. So I started that. I got that license and I started the the security company. And then we started doing um, uniform security and executive protection. And that that has dwarfed, completely dwarfed the investigations now. Oh, I see. Okay. Now, is it a subsidiary or how does that, how's that? It's a division. It's a DBA division. Okay. Okay. But, but that's where most of your volume is, or the majority of your volume now is MPS is in security. Okay. Oh, by far. Okay. And are we talking like uh, Jeff Bezos type security, famous people type security? Yeah. Are we talking to politicians? Uh, what, um, what are we talking here? Um, very, not a lot of politicians, but uh, I have done political uh, security, but um, high net worth individuals, corporate executives, celebrities, um, people, you know, people that have threats against them, workplace violence mitigation, hostile terminations, mm. um, strike security, um, you know, a lot of workplace, we do a lot of workplace security, uh, uh, you know. Okay. And when you say workplace security, you mean like a, a, um, a, a warehouse with million with multi-million dollars worth of product in it, you're securing the building or, or what do you mean? Well, we sw- I switched gears on you. We were talking about executive protection. So uniform security is a security guard in a uniform. Okay. We do warehouses. We do hospitals. We do water districts and utilities agencies. We do any property construction sites, homeowners associations. Okay. <clears throat> That's the uniform division. But the executive protection, which is our industry's term for bodyguard, I see. Our, our executive protection agents do any any and every kind of uh, higher end security with okay. more training, more experience. Um, former law enforcement, former military, 
but formally formally trained in executive protection, which is a whole other world. So that you know, Steve Jobs, uh, the, Steve Jobs was never a client of mine. But I'm just giving you examples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Bezos, uh, uh, you know, Bill Big Gates, like this. any gotcha. of those guys. Um, that's this corporate team type security. But workplace security is, um, you know. Joe, whoever um, is acting out and he gets he gets in a fight with somebody because he's being a jerk and they call him in and he, he's still being a jerk. And they say, look, you're fired. You, we can't have that here. He's already hostile. He's already, you know, it's just, you know, it's a volatile situation. And he goes, screw you. I'm going to come back and blah, 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 whatever. So they call me. I do a vulnerability threat assessment on him um, ah. to, to try and determine the likelihood of him actually doing that. And if he says, you know, I'm going to come back and, you know, get the president because it's his fault, then we put security on the president uh, or we do we do uh, the hostile termination. We put agents there at the facility, wherever there may be a risk. Mm. Um, uh, so so under MPS really is the uniform division or executive protection, really two different branches both, there or two different both, revenues. Both divisions of the same company or the same okay. the same subsidiary. And that is security-mps.com, just for the listeners, just so Correct. they know Correct. if you're interested in either one of those, those services. Which one's the bigger service for you or which one drives more revenue for your company, if you don't mind me asking, the executive protection or uniform? It was uniform security. And then in 2020, one of our um, clients is one of the biggest investment companies in the world, and they've got branches throughout the United States. And people started getting really upset when they couldn't come in and talk to somebody about what's going on with their money, or they were told they had to wear a mask or whatever. So we put agents in most many of their um, branch offices throughout the United States. And that was just gigantic. So in 2020, for the first time, the executive protection division actually did more revenue than the uniform division. Mm, interesting. Okay. Which one do you like better? Oh, executive protection, 100%. No question about it. <sighs> You're dealing with professionals that are trained and experienced. They take pride in what they do. They want to be there. Um, they are well-paid so we can give them their mission, tell them what the objective is and let them go do it. Mm -hmm. They're set and forget. Uh, and they rarely ever embarrass us or screw up. The uniform division on the other hand is very challenging. I see. On the executive protection, are these uh, independent like contractors that flow it up depends. under? Are they okay. First of all, there's no independent contractors in, okay, so in California, oh. if they don't have the same license level that I do, they mm. cannot do this for me. I see. Okay? Uh, but I can, uh, as a 1099, I can hire them as employees, which is what we do in California. I've got, mm. I don't know, 180 guys probably on our list of employees throughout the throughout California that we use periodically. I We've see. also got a huge list, and, and Nevada. We're also licensed in Nevada, so we do a lot of stuff in Las Vegas. Um, okay. But okay. Are you only are you only licensed in those two states? Is that where you do all your business? Currently, we are. We we were in seven states at one time, but it just didn't make sense, and we didn't want to build an infrastructure. We thought we were going to grow quicker than we did, and frankly, I'm glad we didn't because it was yeah. would have been too much work. What we do, our model now is we just we will co uh, contract with a company like mine in that state that's reputable, licensed, insured, does everything above board. 
and we will have them do the work. So our profits will be smaller, but we've mm-hmm. got the we've got the, the the national footprint with the level of service that goes with a company that's been around for 55 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, they they're there, they do it the right way. It's their people, they know the area and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just contract it out to them and they contract stuff out to us as well. In Vegas, do you deal with any of the casinos or casino owners, anything like that? Or no, you should no, stay away from them? No, no, it's not that we're staying away. They usually have in-house corporate teams that do that. I see. Okay. All right. Very good. How do you figure out whether or not these guys are are good enough, right? Like if you're going to put somebody on a, on a, on a Jeff Bezos, I realize that's not your client, but if you're going to put a guy on somebody like him, what do you bring? You bring him into the office. You, you personally test it. How do you, how do you figure out whether or not this guy's good enough? <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> first of all, we would, you know, I'd go through his background resume, his CV, talk to him, interview him, um, see what he's like. This is, you know, knuckle draggers are not the knuckle draggers are bouncers or, are for show, you know, okay. Okay. The, the great, the great big monsters that walk down or walk yeah. through crowds with these celebrities, right. the Jay-Z's or, or Britney mm-hmm. Spears or whoever they're there more for intimidation. And mm-hmm. most of the time, those guys are not as highly trained as somebody we would put with a, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Sergey or, 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 you know, Bill Gates or, mm-hmm. or Jeff Bezos or whatever. Oftentimes those guys may be a little bit more like me. They may be a little bigger than me, but they're going to fit in and not be quite so obvious. I see. Um, it, it really depends. It's, it's the right person for what the client wants. Now, some clients, you know, Kanye West wants monsters around him at all times because that's part of his, his, you know, his public, public persona. I see. I see. Um, but there are many corporate executives who don't want anyone to know they have security. So then we provide what's called covert protection. And that means we're much further away. We may have more guys or less, depending on, you know, what they want, but we're not right up in their business and it's much less invasive. I see. Interesting. But it also has to do with the threat level too. I mean, that the risk and the threat level, um, you really have to, you create the team for the need and for the client, what they want and what they need. What happens when the security, I'm going to ask some really dumb questions here, or some ignorant questions because I don't know anything about it. What happens when they, when they need to go to the restroom, take a break? What, 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 they're just, you know, the client's vulnerable for five minutes. What happens? Well, look, you, you can only do so much, right? I mean, okay. and, and, and people have needs. Now, um, in a normal situation, and by the way, as agents, we have to, you know, we eat when we can, we sleep when right. we can, and we pee right. when we can. Right. So hopefully we're we're doing that smart and doing it. If the client's going, we know we better go. So our our bladders are about the same level. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> um, trust me, I th- I thought about some stuff like that. I'm like, well, damn, doesn't that guy have to go pee? Like, well, how does he do that? What, what I mean, I know, I know that seems silly, but really, uh, you know, that stuff matters, right? I mean, human beings have to do things. Yeah. So I'm, well. <laughs> It is what it is. It is what it is. You, you try and work it out. You work those logistics out however you can. Mm, interesting. Have you ever had anybody have to, uh, you know, physically harm or shoot, shoot, shoot somebody or put somebody in the hospital, kill anybody? I've never had anybody kill anybody. I don't think I've had anybody have to ever get in a gunfight uh, while they were working for me. 
I okay. use a lot of guys for short-term stuff that may have been involved in other things like, you know, over in um, Afghanistan or whatever that were doing uh, contract work that may have gotten into it. I know a few guys that have been gunfights over in Afghanistan and, and okay. Uh, okay. in that area. But um, um, I mean, we've definitely had situations where an overzealous fan got overzealous and, you know, they had to be restrained, but I've been lucky. I've not really had too many, I haven't had any real violent encounters, which is fine because frankly, that's what we try and avoid. If we're doing our job right, most of the time we will be able to avoid situations where we'll have to be big, bad security guys. Gotcha. If we're smart, if we're using this, we're going to keep them out of situations where we have to use this. When you see this stuff go down in movies and things, do you just like laugh and go, okay, that's not how it is at all? Oh, (laughs) Steve, the stuff I see that comes out of Hollywood in many situations is very, very different than the real world. But a lot of people don't know that. So it's good entertainment, you know. That's why I was asking you if you've ever ever had to shoot anybody or anything, because it's rare. I mean, you've been in this business for your whole life and you can't remember ever having to actually pull the trigger on somebody, but you watch, you know, you watch TV and it's like, Oh, this shit happens all the time. No, not, not really. <laughs> no, no. But how, how exciting would that TV show be? Uh, look, being right. a private investigator is not exciting. Being mm. an executive protection guy is not exciting unless you're starstruck and you like being around, you know, celebrities, then it's kind of cool. I've, I've, mm. I've had celebrity clients that, frankly, I thought were amazing human beings. And I've had some that I was very disappointed to find out that they were not who I hoped they were. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, to make it entertaining, it's not an exciting lifestyle. It's a very nomadic life. Depending on the type of executive protection you do, you know, maybe some uber rich guy who people don't really know who he is because he's not Mm -hmm. in the public eye, but he wrote some code that Google uses and now he's a bajillionaire. So he's got his yacht and he may go cruising for three months and you go on that cruise, but you cool. know, you're awake. Yeah. You're awake when they're awake and then you sleep when they sleep, unless you're on the, you know, the opposite, you're on the graveyard and then you're supposed to be awake watching or whatever. Do you get, do you get to like hang out with the chicks and drink the beer and everything too? When you're, well, you don't, you don't drink the beer. Um, I have, I have, I have worked in some pretty, pretty cool environments that I did enjoy the scenery. Um, I have worked with some celebrities and, and some high net worth individuals and corporate executives that I really enjoyed their company. So, you know, but for the most part, it's all, it's, it's not, it's hard work, you know, And, and and the cool stuff, like, you know, having an affair with your beautiful client, you don't do that. That's not what you do. That's not reality. Yeah. That's not reality. No, that's not reality. Uh, let me ask you uh, this. So, so just for the listeners, before I get into some other topics, because I really want to ask you about some some interesting topics that I know you'll comment on, because you're 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 an opinionated guy, which I love about you. Uh, just one more time for the listeners, I just want to make sure they got this. It's investigations dot or slash mbi dot com. No, investigation dash dash hyphen nbi. Yes. Yes, and security dash mps yes dot com yep now let's get into a live um which is uh you know active shooter training right uh that you do i think you you do that personally you do courses you do seminars you do conferences talk to me about it so after a lifetime of investigations and security i was burning out i was losing steam i was not excited i was not I didn't have any more drive. It's like, this is all I needed to change. Okay. And um, 
just by accident, I found this change because of something that I'm very passionate about. And that is, you know, good people not dying at the hands of bad people. And I kept seeing it and these, and I became fascinated with these, with these active shooter, active killer events. I, I, you know, because of dealing with my mom's mental illness as a child, I became very, very fascinated with, with mental health, mental illness, psychology, what makes people tick. I took some psychology classes, absolutely loved them. So I'm always trying to figure out what goes through someone's mind when they do something that doesn't make sense. Well, opening fire on a group of people you don't know and killing them makes no sense. That's not, that's not how we're programmed. That's a deviation from our programming. So I started trying to figure it out. And I became very frustrated when I'd see videos of people in active shooter situations doing the wrong thing or doing nothing at all. And I thought, wait, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you, you know, why aren't you running or why aren't you attacking them? Or why aren't you doing something? And they're freaking out. And I just became angry and frustrated. And because I'm thinking, well, I know what to do. Why don't you know what to do? And then I realized they didn't have a dad that was a cop that was in the military and that was a security guy and that was an investigator and they knew what situation awareness was. So I thought, well, shoot, I guess maybe the only way that I can make myself feel any better is by teaching people because okay. then I'll be doing something instead of just sitting there and wondering why. So I started taking classes on how to teach active shooter of different disciplines. And about the fourth one, I was going, you know what? No. That's not what I would have done in that one. I would have done this differently. I disagree with the way you do this. And finally I went, okay, forget it. I'm just going to create my own and I'm going to teach it. So I created one and I thought, well, it's got to start with a good name and a good acronym. And the one, the class, the two day instructor course I was in had an acronym that I fully disagreed with because the last letter in the acronym basically was the run or, you know, get away. Well, that should be the very first consideration. So I started going through acronyms and, and going through the letters and what they would mean. And I came up with ALIVE. And ALIVE stands for Assess, Leave, Impede, Violence, and Expose. Now, assessing your situation is probably the most vital thing you can do because your next actions will, will be taken based on what you've decided from that assessment. Mm -hmm. And then you go into leave, which is like run. You go into impede, which is like hide. And you go into violence, which is like fight. So run, hide, fight, which are the three things you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to consider them in that order. Whether you can do them in that order is another, you know, whole nother story. Um, but everybody that does what I do takes basically the run, hide, fight. Now run, hide, fight, the video and the concept was brilliant 25 years ago in two, 2000 when it was created. Okay. 23, yeah. two years ago. Okay. <clears throat> but the first version of anything, I don't care what it is, is never going to be perfect. It's just not. We create something based on a need. We try it out. We find out what the weaknesses are, and then we recreate it to make it better. So I call the Alive program basically Run, Hide, Fight 2.0. It's the evolution and the new improved version of Run, Hide, Fight. Okay. And and you teach the courses. You're available. If people want to, if, if they want to have you come do a training or a session at, at a corporate event, or how, how does it work? How do they book you? Okay. I'll, I'll give you the, the timeline rundown. So 2013 is when I started going through this exploration process. In 2014, I launched, I created and launched Alive. Okay. So that's when I created the Alive program and I started teaching it. Um, in 2017, uh, 2016, I decided, well, I'm not going to be able to reach everybody 
just me teaching everybody. How do I do, how do I create, how do I get the, my message out there? So I went, well, I wrote a book. So I wrote the book. Yeah, let's see it. This is the, I, actually the second edition was just published and launched two weeks ago. It's a much sexier cover, but this is the first edition. 10 minutes to live. 10 minutes to live surviving an active shooter using live. It's, it's on Amazon. It's on the, it's on the, um, um, uh, society of human resource managers, uh, library. It's in the, uh, 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 association for security. What is it? Uh, ASIS, uh, associates for security or industrial security or something like that. It's in a lot of the the libraries for this stuff for workplace violence and and what's the second edition? Is there, did you add some stuff in there on the second edition? The second edition is updated with new stats, new, my, my, how do, how do it, um, secure a classroom? I added some stuff and it's got a much more vibrant and, you know, exciting cover. Uh Um, but it's on Amazon. It's easy to find on Amazon. And you can go to my website and find it as well. It's um, you can buy it through my website, but. Oh, you can. Okay. How about the audio version? Have you done an audio version? Okay. So I was going to hire a company and everybody keeps telling me, just do it yourself. No, oh, oh, for, sure. Able to, oh, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It has to be you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so that is, that is my project for first quarter of this year is, and I've got the, you know, I can do it with zoom, honestly. And mm-hmm. then, I don't know what my audio sounds like right now, but it, does it sound it's good fine. to be on? Okay. So I can yeah. record the thing myself. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. So I'm going to do the audio, but that was, that was published in the beginning of 2017. And then I thought, well, shoot, not everyone's going to buy the book or hire me. And I actually, I was sitting, taking a mandatory sexual harassment training because all my managers have to take it because I own a company with more than 50 employees. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I, I am being told by the state of California that I have to pay a company to take this ridiculous. Tra- and look, I already know all the, I was a private investigator for so many years and I've done yeah. tons of sexual harassment cases. Right. I know the do's and don'ts, but I still have to take the training. Gotcha. I thought, well, shoot, I should create an online program. So then I created an online training program. Okay. And that one, you can either do a three hour, a two hour or a one hour. And then there's also a 20 minute annual refresher. And all they are, the three, two, and one hours, it's the same course, just cut down into smaller versions. And it's all, all right. based on a video of me giving the in-person training. So you can get it, so you can buy the book, or you can do the online training, either one. You can do both if you want. Or I don't do care. both. You do both. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Very and it's good. funny. It's funny. A lot of people, after they complete the online course, then they go back and they buy the book, which I give a discount for if they do that. I see. I see. So no more... You, you won't, you don't do any more speeches or conferences on your own anymore. No, no, I'm not no. done. I'm, I'm oh, I got oh, more. Okay. Remember, okay. I'm doing a timeline. <laughs> so that was 2017. Okay. Now in 2018, I thought, okay, I traveled m- most of the year all over the country. And, uh, and I went, to, I would, I went to Panama city, Panama to give my course to 130 casino security directors from all over the world, all the way to Australia, New Zealand, everything like that. Cool. And I thought, well, this is fun, but I don't want to travel this much, man. I don't want to live out of a suitcase. And I thought, well, I've got to create some more instructors. Mm -hmm. So then I created the instructor certification program. Ah. And I launched that in 2018, end of 2018, or maybe it was 19. I can't remember. Um, And so now I've got over 80 instructors throughout the world. I've got five instructors in Australia. Uh, we're in we're in Canada, we're in Mexico, um, and you know, I've got instructors all over the world now. Wow, 
Oh, wow. Okay. You, you are a true blue entrepreneur at heart, right? I know you love the security and the investigation and all that stuff. I know that's in your blood, but really you're an entrepreneur because you're constantly thinking about launching new revenue streams, new businesses. Yes. And I like doing that. I like creating things, but this thing, I was so passionate. You'd probably tell I'm very passionate about this. Now let me, and by the way, I still teach and a lot of clients only want me. So I still travel all over the country teaching just nowhere near as much. Okay. I pick and choose, but let me tell you about what happened in 2017. Okay. Around October 10th, I think it was a Saturday. I woke up to an email of a woman named Liz Moreno. And Mm -hmm. I wrote this, I I read this email and I sat up in bed and I went, Whoa, wait a minute. And I reread it. And, but basically what this was, was she said, uh, Mr. Julian, you probably don't remember me, but two and a half years ago, my company, my employer hired you to come give your training to all of us. And there was 87 people. I remember in that training. And she said, I never thought it was a great class, but I never thought I'd use it. In fact, I hadn't thought about it a day since. But on October 1st, I was at the Route 91 Music Festival in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm. And I was there with my boyfriend watching Jason Aldean perform. And all of a sudden we started, we heard what we thought were firecrackers. And we didn't really know what was going on. But then I turned around and I saw a woman shot in the face and a man shot in the chest right behind me. And she said, at that point, obviously we realized what was going on. So we hit the ground and she goes, at that moment, I had my head covered with my hands and I immediately, I I thought, wait a minute, I've been through training. I know what to do. And she goes, I became completely calm. And I turned to my boyfriend and I said, when the shooting stops, we have got to get out of here. And he said, no, we'll be safer here. Cause they were in a group of people in front of the stage. Mm. And she said, no, I know what to do. When the shooting stops, I'm leaving with or without you. And he said, okay. So when the shooting stopped, they jumped up, grabbed hands and took off running. And she said, I believe it's your training that told me what to do because so many people right where we were, were killed that day because that's Mm. where he was shooting at everyone in front of the stage. Mm. And so I met with her and uh, it ended up making the news, the whole nine yards. It was a big deal. So I literally have a person that looked me in the eye and told me that the the training that I created saved Mm. her life. Now, Steve, Mm. you've got kids. Mm-hmm. If you're like me, having your children was the most profound moment of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when somebody looks you in the eye and says that what you did saved my life, that's number two for me. Oh, that's pretty and powerful. It, it changed my life. <laughs> so I went back to work and I told my executive staff, guess what? You guys are going to have to start running things because this is my passion and this is what I'm going to do. And I saved somebody's life and I want to feel that again. And I've never done heroin, but I'll tell you, it, this has got to be as addictive. If somebody tells you that you saved their life, right. that feeling is as almost as fulfilling as having children. And I want it again. So I want to train our goal. Our, our mission statement is to train every single human being on planet earth, the alive program. I love it. I love it, bro. I I really appreciate you sharing that story with me. That is super special. I can't even imagine what that must feel like. So now alive is a huge focus for you uh, over the, I mean, everything, I mean, you got, several different businesses, but this is a huge focus for you. And by the way, it's active shooter surveillance training.com. Nope. 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 Active shooter survival training. Sorry. Active shooter survival training. Yep. Got it. Dot com. Active, active shooter survival training.com. Yeah. Uh, if you want to uh, look, uh, look that up and all you have to do, lot. all you have to do is Google a live active shooter and we are everywhere. Great. 
Yeah, very good. Congratulations on everything that you have built. My question is, how do you stay on top of it, my man? I mean, geez, you got you're you're married now. You know, you're married, right? Or uh, are you? No, 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 no. Nope. Single. I, okay. I, I am. I'm divorced. Still good friends with my ex-wife and her husband. Okay. Um, we have two phenomenal, amazing, incredible children. Um, but I have a phenomenal, amazing girlfriend who's the most supportive woman I've ever had in my life. So she's a big part of what happens in my success now. And um, how, so your question was, how do I stay on top of it? I, I well, don't. yeah, my, my question that's was, why you're how my do you... recruiter. That's why yeah. you're my recruiter. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you're a busy guy. What you got any, you got one or two tips for anybody listening on how, just how you stay organized with everything you're doing. What's your, what's, what's the trick? First of all, um, you know, because my father was a perfectionist, I am a bit of a perfectionist and I tend to want things to be better than is acceptable by most. So uh, I, I'm learning that, you know, something getting done at 90% is better than it not getting done because it's not a hundred percent. Okay. So, right. um, you know, or at least my, my standards are probably un, unreasonably high. And most people, if it's good enough for them, then I should just let that be good enough for them. And don't be a control freak. You know, it's when I lost control is when things exploded. Mm. Now I had a very competent staff that I micromanaged, but things got started to grow so big that I literally could not manage it the way I thought it needed to be managed. And so now they were doing things on their own without me telling them what to do. And they did such a good job. We blew up. That's great. Uh, congratulations. Tell me about that good looking young man behind you in the, in the, in the white hat. <laughs> yeah, that is Michael Dean Julian, the second. Um, and he's a 21. He'll be 22 next month. He is a presidential guard in the Marine Corps mm. um, living in Washington, D.C., and he's got about 20 minute, 20 months left on his contract and he is going to be moving back home. Thank goodness. Going back to work for me. And, um, nice to all, as far as I know, unless he's changed his mind, his goal, his dream, since he was a little kid was one to become a rain and then two to take over and run my company, which That's I fair. cannot wait for. <laughs> gonna, right. That's so good. Uh, congratulations. I'm sure you're very proud. I, I want to ask you a couple of uh, questions, worldly questions, worldly Okay, topics. before you do, before you do, yeah, I, I can't not mention my daughter. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> my, my daughter's 19 years old. She's smart. She's funny. She's beautiful. She's highly intelligent. She's going to college full-time and she is a waitress at her mom and stepdad's uh, Italian restaurant full-time and uh, has a incredibly wonderful boyfriend. And she's just, you know, I, my son, because he's been in the spotlight, being a Marine, and he's extremely outgoing, got a lot of attention uh, that I want to make sure my daughter gets an equal amount, because she's just as good, uh, just as good at everything. And she's just two years younger. So her, her brother kind of paved the way. And he yeah. got the spotlight, but I want to make sure that, it, that it's yeah. understood. My daughter is absolutely an amazing young woman, and I love her to death. Uh, I appreciate you mentioning that. You know, this that goes back to what we talked about before, which is guys like us uh, went to high school in the 80s and 90s. We just we shower our kids with with uh, affection and love, and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, so thank you for mentioning her. You bet. I want to... Uh, I want to get your opinion on a couple of worldly topics before we run out of time. Cause I know we're, sure. we're, we're pushing up to, to the end of this. 
feel free to comment or not comment on anything you want to uh, say Happy here, to. but just bring it, bring it. Hey, I, I listen, I feel very strongly about the way I feel. And I think I'm fair in the way that that's I why I wanted to, that's why I wanted yeah. to ask you about these. We could do a whole podcast on this on this next thing I'm about to bring up, but I just want to get your quick opinion on it. COVID. <laughs> COVID I is want- real. COVID, I've had it twice. Okay. COVID has killed lots and lots of people. Um, COVID is, a, is something that we should take seriously. I think that it has been politicized and pol- people have been polarized based on the ideologies and, and uh, it being... It's been it's been used as a weapon. It's been used as a political tool. Mm. Um, it's divided people that shouldn't be divided. Um, people mm-hmm. that say it's it's not real, I think, are probably wrong because I've had it twice and it was unfortunate. I didn't mm. it didn't kill me and it didn't it wasn't that horrible. It has killed people. I've known people that has killed. Mm. It needed to be taken seriously. Um, but you know, the flu has killed people too, and so forth. This is just a new phenomenon that we're dealing with, and it's you know. It's got everybody's attention, but because people decided to take sides, you know, it's either you're either this or you're that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the middle. I believe that it's a real thing that we need to take seriously, but I think it has been grossly over sensationalized um, and mm-hmm. used as a weapon for people's agendas. And I think mm-hmm. it sucks that they would do that. I think it's, I think it's dishonorable and I think it's dishonest the way it has been you know, used for um, to to put people against each other and and political political. It's it's been used mm-hmm. as a political tool, and I don't like that. Do you think companies should uh, mandate their employees to be vaccinated? Well, here's the deal: um, the vaccine, as we as Whoopi Goldberg found out, uh, you can get a vaccine and you can get the booster and you can still get COVID, and a lot of people still got COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the phone with an attorney, one of my attorneys this morning, uh, who has been vaccinated and just got COVID. It won't stop it, but apparently it will make the symptoms less. Now, okay. if you want to either because you feel like it, you won't get it or you want the symptoms to be less, then that should be your choice to go get the vaccine. Okay. If, okay. it's, if it's your choice to be affected dramatically or even killed by it, that's your choice as well. So, no, I don't think companies should mandate it. I haven't mandated it. Okay. All right. How about this? Uh, we could do a whole hour on that that topic alone, COVID, but uh, I want to ask you a couple of others. Gun control. <laughs> guns, guns should be controlled to the point that they are kept out of the hands of clearly and obviously dangerous people. Okay. The problem with gun control is the slippery slope theory. And that is if we give a little bit, and and Mm -hmm. I hate to say Republicans, Democrats, because I'm somewhere in the middle um, when it comes to environmental issues and stuff like that. But um, I think that once you give a little bit, the anti-gun people will climb on that and try and tear at it to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the problem. And that's why I think gun uh, pro second amendment people have been so um, hard to give up anything. Now, Stephen Paddock, the guy at the route 91 music festival, it killed 58 people in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. Mm-hmm. He used what's called a bump stock, a bump stock. Basically you go like this and it turns it into an automatic weapon. Okay. You cannot be accurate going like this. 
if you can't be accurate with a gun, you shouldn't use it. Mm. I am absolutely against bump stocks across the board. Um, I'm, I am for backgrounds to make sure that certain things like assault weapons um, are not put in the wrong hands. The problem is you can put rules in place, but they've got to be enforced. And mm -hmm. multiple active shooters slip through. And if they're going to slip through, then it's not doing any good. So does it do any good to have those rules? I don't know. Mm, it's a good, it's a tough question. Um, but don't tell me, but don't tell me what gun I can and cannot own, because I'll tell you what, if, if you're anywhere in the vicinity of me with a gun and a bad guy with a gun, you're going to be glad I'm there. Cause that dude is going down. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. shooting since I was a little kid. Good people with guns stop bad people with guns. If you take guns out of the hands of good people, you're not going to be successful in taking them out of the hands of bad people because they're bad people. They're going to break the law. Mm -hmm. So you better make sure the good people have the guns as well. If it were up to you, this might be a tougher question. You can dodge it if you want to. If it were up to you, should more people be concealed carry? I don't dodge questions. Uh, I, I stand behind the way I feel because I put a lot of thought into my answers. Absolutely, people that are qualified and trained should have weapons and concealed if they want. Because I will tell you that, look, Kennesaw, Georgia, the city of Kennesaw, Georgia has a, um, a um, not a zoning, uh, uh, an ordinance. If you own a, uh, a home, you must have a gun in that home for self-defense. Interesting. Do you know what the home invasion rate is in Kennesaw, Georgia? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Doesn't happen. So if bad guys are not sure if they're going to get their asses blown off because they're not sure if somebody has a predators go after the weak. If they're not sure they're weak, they're probably not going to take a chance. Mm -hmm. If Australia had a different uh, rules around guns and more, uh, you know, individuals were armed there personally, would they have been able to shut the country down like they've, like they've done and take control of the people like they've done, or would it be different? I would like to think that if they had law abiding citizens with guns, they would respect their government enough to, to, to play by the rules. Now I told you, I've got five instructors there. I hear what's going on over there. They mm. are not happy about it, but these guys are all former Australian special forces that mm. respect guns and respect their government. So while they're not happy about it, they would never take up arms against their government because of mm. um, their, you know, their laws. And by mm -hmm. the way, mm -hmm. this January 6th thing with all these idiots that entered our capital, shame on them. They should have mm. respected our government. Whether you're happy with the decision or not, you never, ever do something like that. That is last, awesome you talk, last, Jan, last January, January 6th, when they, yeah, yeah. When they yeah. stormed the Capitol. Absolutely gotcha. shame mm -hmm. on them. Mm hmm. Very good. I appreciate you uh, walking me through some of those gun control uh, questions. Thank you. I want to ask you just a couple more here. I know we're almost out of time. Censorship, this cancel culture thing that you see. Uh, it's absolute bullshit. OK. All right. So so cancel, cancel culture is a freaking cancer that is going to spread until finally enough people go, oh, wait a minute. Even, even the liberals that are, that are so pro-cancel culture, they, they feel that way because the things they feel strongly about haven't been canceled yet, but it's gonna come full circle. <laughs> and now the things there they feel strongly about are gonna start getting canceled and they're gonna rethink it and go, hmm, maybe that's not the way to deal with things.
Mm. What's your response to the people that say, because I've asked this question to almost every guest lately and I get different answers all the time. What's your response to the people that say, well, Google's is not a government ran company. Twitter's not a, owned by the government. They can do whatever they want to uh, as a company. What's your response to that? They have a social responsibility. Any company or entity that has that much power and Facebook is one of the most powerful organizations on planet earth because of the reach and the influence that they have Mm -hmm. and that they can allow or disallow. Mm -hmm. If you have got to be socially responsible and if you got that much power, you have got to treat it with respect. And I think they are wholeheartedly abusing their power by shutting people down, by canceling their, um, by canceling their, uh, their, their accounts. I mean, if you're going to censor, you better have some very, very definitive rules on what is and is not allowed and give people the opportunity and spank, slap their hand, then spank their bottom, then punch them in the face. And if they're still not going to follow the rules, then you, you bounce them. But I, I think that I have seen instances where Facebook has been unfair in the way that they have allowed cer- certain communications and speech and disallowed others based on their culture and their beliefs. And I think that's wrong. Same for Twitter, I think, right? Same for Twitter and YouTube. And Twitter, yeah. of course, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a scary deal. You know, when you can, uh, and, and by the way, for the listeners, for what I'm about to say, I, I don't care if you, if you like Trump, hate Trump, whatever. My point is, if you have the power to cancel the president of the United States, that's, that's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that power was abused. Yeah, that was that was a tough one. You know, and, and, and I'm saying that even if you hate Trump, I think the point is, yeah, if you have if you have the power to cancel the president like that's scary. OK, very good, sir. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. Listen, Michael, love what you guys do. Love your passion. When I'm sure your passion just bleeds all over your people, which is why you guys do such a great job and have such a wonderful reputation because you're super you. passionate, honest guy. Love your Thank energy, you. too. Thank Love you. it. Love it. Um, so, uh, listen, I wish you the best. I wish your team the best. I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you for uh, being on the Rider Flex podcast. My, my pleasure, buddy. Always good to be with you, Steve.